Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Okay, I'm not going to mince words. You saw it right there in the episode title. This is not our sexiest fat mascara interview, but it is super informative. You know, we get lots of questions about the medical side of hair health. It's something we can't talk about always with hairstylists. I mean, we can, they know their stuff, but sometimes you want a doctor here to talk about things like dandruff, causes of thinning, ingredients in hair products, which ones might be harmful. So I wanted to really get into all of that. And Dr. Caroline Robinson was, of course, willing to go there with me in this interview, which originally aired in 2022. Dr. Robinson is a board-certified medical and cosmetic dermatologist in Chicago with a subspecialty expertise in alopecia, preventative skincare, and ethnic skin dermatology. She's a graduate of Cornell and University of Louisville, where she went to med school. She's active in organizations like the Skin of Color Society, Women's Dermatologic Society, and the American Academy of Dermatology. So like the title told you, we're going to talk about silicone, sulfate, seborrheic dermatitis. Buckle up. If you want to learn about your scalp, you are about to learn so much more about your scalp than you ever wanted to know. And also about pores. You'll hear it all. Here is Dr. Caroline Robinson. Okay, Dr. Robinson, welcome to Fat Mascara. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for having me. It's good to hang out and talk derm, like one yeah. of my favorite things to do. <laughs> Mine too, so happens. <laughs> it, wor- it worked out for you since this is your job. How did you even get into this career? Was there, uh, was there something that drew you to it? 
I would say that it was kind of a little roundabout. Definitely when I was younger, I was very creative and I like liked to paint. And I, I even at one point thought that I was going to be a fashion designer. Then my dad was like, okay, well, let's focus. What do you really want to do? And I started thinking about the classes that I liked um, the most. And I really loved biology, just kind of understanding how things worked in the human body um, and really just kind of the science of it. But it wasn't probably until medical school that at that point I had to decide on a specialty. And I started to explore different areas of medicine, like internal medicine and gynecology. And I just didn't really see myself in any of those specialties. Mm -hmm. But when I rotated through dermatology, I like it was almost like automatically like a light bulb went off because there were so many different things that you could do. You were a pathologist, you were an oncologist, you know, um, diagnosing Mm -hmm. and treating skin cancers. You worked with all different ages, babies and, you know, people later in life. And I just saw myself being able to do so many things in dermatology. And that's when I fell in love with it. I imagine there's an art to it too. Like if you were going to be a fashion designer, clearly... Mm -hmm. You need a little creativity, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, unfortunately, a lot of conditions in dermatology don't have cures. We have very good treatments, but we don't have um, a lot of cures. And so a lot of times we're working with people over a long period of time to try to manage these chronic conditions. And at some point, you know, we've used everything that's evidence-based and we have to start looking at a person's life and what works with their life. And maybe we need to try something a little more creative or, you know, mix, mix therapies a bit. So I think there is a little Mm -hmm. bit of creativity in dermatology for sure. Yeah. And now I know you love talking about, like I follow you on Instagram, so I know you love (laughs) a good topical and talking about skin and the cosmetic, cosmetic aspects of dermatology but I wanted to get super sexy with you and talk about scalps. <laughs> oh, that's the sexiest. <laughs> Isn't it though? Because we actually did meet when you were uh, at a scalp event and it got me thinking that you would be someone great to talk to because we can also talk about hair and those kind of things. But before we get into that, because I do have some listener questions too, I, I feel like we need some basics and who better yeah. than the derm. Like what is the scalp? How is it different from skin? Yeah, you know, it's one of, I would say, one of the least understood areas by the public. You know, we just kind of like focus on our hair and no one's really talking about the scalp. They're just like, oh, it's just there uh, to to grow hair, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But it's skin also. And so just like the skin on the rest of our body, the scalp can get oily, it can get dry, it can develop rashes, um, all of the things that the skin on our body does. It is thicker skin for sure. And it does have more sebaceous glands. So those are the glands that produce sebum and oil. So those are important things to take into account when we're caring for it, but it is different from the rest of our skin. And why is the hair... Maybe this doesn't have to do with the scalp, but why does the hair grow long there? Whereas like our facial hair, body hair doesn't grow that long. 
Yeah. Um, I, I suspect that there is an evolutionary, you know, reason for that, but we definitely have evolved to grow more terminal hairs, which are the thicker hairs in that area of the scalp than the rest of our body. Um, we have the ability to grow hair, you know, obviously in other areas of our body. So, but those hairs are finer and what, what we consider more phallus hairs. Yeah. And so do we have pores on our scalp? Cause like, I always get confused. Like, I feel like, does every pore have a hair and are the pores that are on our scalp the same as the ones on our face? Do you even call them pores? <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, I, I heard somewhere like the funniest thing once about this, that like pores have like the best PR team or, so, or something, <laughs> but you know, like they get so much attention, but essentially what a pore is, it's the opening of the hair follicle. So, uh, when we are saying follicle and when we're saying pores, we're sometimes using that interchangeably depending on what um, condition we're talking about. But the pores, the pore is just the opening. And so we do have pores technically on our scalp that are growing our, our hair. That's where our hair comes out of. And one hair is contained within each pore. So, and even on your face, before we get into the scalp, then that means that each of these pores, when we're like, I got to, you know, tighten up my pores or do a pore strip or whatever, that's just a little hole where the hair is popping out. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which means that we shouldn't be attacking our pores so much. (laughs) (laughs) I know. People, you know, when, once they become visible, people get like, I don't, I don't want to see it. But like with the scalp, obviously they're there because we see our hair. Mm -hmm. Do we have, so we do all these things to our face. What does our scalp need to function well? Does it need the same stuff? So sebum, you know, we talked, we touched on a little bit, um, which is produced by the sebaceous glands and emptied, that sebum is emptied into the pore or the hair follicle. That actually plays a vital role in a lot of our scalp function because the sebum coats the skin of the scalp and it actually nourishes it and it protects it. And it also coats the hair to prevent it from becoming dry and and brittle and exposed to the elements. So a lot of the functions of our scalp are built into to our hair follicles and, and what they're supposed to do. But how we can care for our scalp additionally is, of course, with the products that we're using to cleanse it. Cleansing is one of the most important steps, not just for our face and, and the rest of our bodies, but also for our scalp. I think that like a lot of the trouble that I notice as a clinician is related to cleansing frequency, cleansing choice, you know, what you're using. Um, And I would say that that goes for both the scalp and the face. So what would happen if you never washed your scalp? Which I mean, basically the way we think of it is like washing your hair. Mm. You would be itchy, flaky, (laughs) oily. (laughs) But they didn't have like nice fancy shampoo and stuff back in the day, you know, Mm -hmm. where, where people cleansing their scalp in a different way? You know, I'm not in uh, deep into the his, history me, of how. Not historian. <laughs> I'm not a, a, a dramatic historian, but I do think that um, people used at least 
at the very least water and in different water, cultures, yeah. there were, there were different um, cleansing agents that they used. I don't, I don't think it was as fancy as the shampoos that we have now. And it didn't need to be probably at those times because we are using a lot more on our skin and a lot more in our hair now too. So you want shampoo, obviously that like preserves the nature of the sebum. Cause you, as you said, that stuff is so important. Is there anything else you could do to like get nice, juicy, healthy hair sebum (laughs) (laughs) diet wise or, you know, health wise? That's such an interesting question because I think most of the um, trouble that people run into is where there's an overproduction of sebum to the point that it's causing symptoms. And my job is to help them bring that back down to, you know, normal. But in terms of like optimizing your sebum, that's, that's interesting. And I don't, I don't know that we've explored that so much scientifically. (laughs) So we want, but what you're saying is we want balance. Like you don't want too much sebum. You don't want too little sebum. It's all about keeping it in balance. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What What can go wrong if you have too much sebum? Yeah. Um, if you have too much sebum, you, depending on, you know, other factors like your genetics, your susceptibility to certain conditions, you can develop dandruff and even more severe on that spectrum is seborrheic dermatitis. Um, so those are- Now we're really getting sexy. (laughs) This is the, I told you this is the the part, (laughs) but yeah. So I don't know if you knew this, but dandruff is one of the most common scalp conditions, it actually affects the majority of Americans. And um, it can really like take a toll on people's quality of life because, you know, if the flakes are visible, especially on like dark clothing, um, people can be embarrassed. They might not wear things that they would normally wear. So it definitely is something that affects a lot of us. Since you brought up those two conditions, I'm going to have to ask about them. Dandruff. So what kind, what, what is that? It comes from too much sebum, but what is it? Is it the sebum? Is it a fungus, a yeast, a weird little creepy crawly, dead skin? Should I just name more gross things? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, You know, it's an, it's an interplay of a lot of different things. Definitely overproduction of sebum plays a role, but what we've been finding is that of course this happens on areas of the skin and the uh, scalp that tend to produce more sebum, but it also happens in certain individuals. So it affects men more than women. It affects dandruff in particular can affect certain ethnic groups more than others. There was actually a study in 2010 that showed that it can impact up to 80 to 90% of uh, African-Americans and Mm. compared to 60 to 80% of Caucasians. So it is a huge like health concern that people have because there are so many like symptoms that you can have itching, flaking, but with seborrheic dermatitis at the more, more severe end of the spectrum, you can get inflammation, which can sometimes be visible on the skin. And that can really, I honestly think itching is the worst symptom. Like, is that like a secondary thing that happens? Like, okay, you had the dandruff and that like mess, like what inflamed itself? Like what seborrheic dermatitis? So seborrheic dermatitis has all of the same influences as dandruff with overproduction of the sebum with the flakes, but the inflammatory component, the, the itching and the, and the visible inflammation on the skin, we actually 
don't understand very well uh, as dermatologists, as scientists. Uh, we know that it tends to run in families. There are certain people uh-huh. also like who have acne, for example, who are more likely to have seborrheic dermatitis. We also see it in very specific scenarios, like in immunocompromised patients with HIV or AIDS. We see a high rate of seborrheic dermatitis with neurologic conditions like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's um, and congenital disorders like Down syndrome. So I think there's a lot more that we have to understand exactly what's happening. But with along with the oil production, we know that that is influenced by hormones. And so some of these scenarios and some of these conditions are definitely areas where we see um, hormonal influences as well. And that can be not just on your scalp, right? You can get that on your face and other parts of your body. So Let's talk about treatment then. Like people know about dandruff shampoos and we'll talk about that, but you just made me think like, do those same ingredients sometimes help with seborrheic dermatitis as well? Because I was just thinking my husband, his doctor told him to wash his face with his dandruff shampoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're nodding. Okay, that's not crazy. I was like, that seems really drying, but I, but he has seborrheic dermatitis, so I'm guessing that's why. Yeah, yeah. So we can see seborrheic dermatitis in the eyebrows, in the smile lines and around the nose and even on the chest. So those areas are high areas of sebum production too. And definitely I advise patients the same way to use the, the dandruff shampoo because if you have it on your on your eyebrows, you likely have a little bit of it in your in your scalp too. So two birds with one stone. <laughs> So what are your go-to dandruff treatment options? Like where do people start? I realize this is like a cyclical chronic thing that you probably work with each patient individually, but like what's your go-to to start out? Yeah, well, as as simple as dandruff, especially if there's not a inflammatory component, you know, like visible redness um, on the on the skin, uh, which would mean that it was seborrheic dermatitis. With dandruff, I often start with um, an over the counter shampoo. So whether it be something that contains salicylic acid, which works great at um, control, controlling oil and also is a keratolytic, so it's going to help loosen the flakes um, from the mm. skin. And then even like selenium sulfide or zinc, parathione zinc, which can have a little bit of an anti-inflammatory component too. So you really want to look for something that gives you a bit of control over the oil and over the inflammatory component. And then um, something that we we kind of touched on a, a little bit, um, not too in-depth, was that there is a, an influence from an organism that lives on, on the skin. It's not an infection or anything, but it's a yeast that lives on all of our skin. It's called malassezia. And normally this yeast does not cause any issues, but in the scenario where you are producing a lot of sebum, it can start to cause issues and it can start to create some inflammation on the skin um, and that can lead to seborrheic dermatitis too. So you definitely want to look for treatments that help to control the yeast population as well as the oil. What controls the yeast? Do those same three ingredients that you talked about, the salicylic, the selenium, and the... What was the other one? <laughs> some, some work um, um, more on yeast 
Wait, what was the other one? Now I forget it. Oh, selenium sulfide, I think was the other one. Um, some some work better on yeast than others. So z- pyrithione zinc, um, it that, has... That, that. Yeah, that one can work pretty well. There's also an ingredient, a shampoo ingredient that we often prescribe that is also mm-hmm. available over the counter in a lower percentage, and that's ketoconazole. And so the the prescription strength is typically a 2%, but over the counter, a 1% is available. So I will sometimes advise people before they see a derm or if they don't have the, the access to one to go ahead and try that shampoo as well. I know you're sending people out to look for these, but I'm thinking like, you probably have recommendations. Like I know selenium sulfide's in Selsun Blue. I only know that because like, it starts with SEL and that's how I remember it. But the one the one that you just named that's in a 1% level over the counter, can you find that at like a mass retailer? Who makes the shampoo with that? There's often like compared to brands, but the most common one is Nizerol. Okay. And so that's a 1% ketoconazole and that is an antifungal shampoo. So it's going to, to work on controlling the yeast population on the scalp. And then for the other two ingredients, like salicylic, are there any that you've tried and liked? Yeah, um, there is uh, one by Neutrogena. Uh, There's actually a whole line that has different percentages of salicylic acid. That's the healthy uh, scalp collection that just launched. So I really like that one and I recommend that because you have control over the different percentages of salicylic acid that you're using whether it be like a 1% or even up to a 3%. As you're listing all these products, I'm thinking, okay, what about our hair? Like, are they going to dry out our hair or do something bad to our hair so it looks different? Right. And that's always been the the compromise. Um, That's always been the balance. And even when I'm counseling my patients with seborrheic dermatitis or dandruff, I'm always making sure that they know how to care for their hair too and that we prepare for that too. I like to recommend shampoos that are gentler on the hair. So Mm -hmm. they still have the potency for the scalp, but they're gentler on the hair. And that's why I really like the Neutrogena line. But in addition to that, I always take into account their hair type like texture and type and their washing frequency. And I think that far too often, with few exceptions, far too often when patients walk into the derm office, we're telling them how often to wash their hair when we really should be asking them how often they wash it and then kind of keeping them there and prescribing the therapy for their scalp and seeing, you know, how they improve from there. So, oh, that matches their frequency. Matches their frequency because you're, it's kind of like that philosophy. If you're changing too many things at once, like how will you know what works? Yeah. That's what I do. So if you're a once a week washer, which are plenty of people mm-hmm. and it's your weekly wash day, are you going to like give them a little bit more potent of a shampoo because they're only washing once a week? What do you tell them to do? Or just let's start and see how it goes. Yeah, let's start and see how it goes. Okay. And then um, I definitely have a follow-up. And if I need to increase the frequency of washing, then I can. But oftentimes I don't. I don't need to change the frequency. I just need to change the therapy. Meanwhile, if you had done that, all of a sudden it's maybe like the fact that they're now washing four days a week because you told them to dries out their thing. And now they're in a whole other cycle and everybody's confused. Yeah, I think so. And that's good. 
that's good to know. If so, if you're using these things and you do get some dryness, is there any way around that? Oh, well, I have some, some techniques. I usually have people start with a moisturizing shampoo, typically something they're already using or they've used before. And they know like after they use that moisturizing shampoo, their hair always feels nice. (laughs) And then I have them follow it with the medicated shampoo, which is you know, either the -the over-the-counter or the prescription, and then follow that with conditioner. So it's almost like the medicated shampoo is sandwiched between these two steps. And yeah, yeah, and that I feel like can be really protective for the hair because you're still getting some moisturizing shampoo, you're still getting a rich conditioner, and that can protect the hair a lot. Okay, that makes sense. Listen, there are so many skincare products on the market claiming to help reduce fine lines and wrinkles, and you know I will try most of them. But how do you know your products are actually working? Some research to back up the claims. That's why Jess and I are all about Ritual. They created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted a clinical study to take the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual's highest hair is now a part of my skincare routine, and I got in the habit of taking it every day by putting the cute little purple jar right next to my sunscreen. It looks nice on my vanity, and let's be honest, I love that. But once I stuck with the habit, I really noticed a difference in my skin. I am not the only one. In a clinical study, taking Hyacera for 90 days led to a 3.6 time reduction in crow's feet wrinkles as compared to placebo. And it led to a 2.9 increase in skin smoothness. I also like that they're easy to swallow. The capsules sort of taste like vanilla. They're not all weird and fishy like some other supplements. Plus, Ritual is a certified B Corp, something we learned about on a recent episode. And all their supplements, including the Daily Protein and their Sleep Bio Series Melatonin Supplement, are vegan, gluten-free, and made traceable. Do what Jess and I did. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash mascara. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mascara for 25% off. Hey everyone, it's Jen. You know Jess and I often talk about how aloe moves helps us stay fit, but May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so I really wanted to point out how amazing the site and app are for mental health as well. It is so easy for me to get stuck in a rut mentally or get stressed out or feel lonely when I'm working from home. I'm guessing you've all been there too. But I found that a much more productive way to deal with those feelings, or even just like a bad day, is to hop on alomoves.com and reset. Allo Moves is the award-winning on-demand streaming wellness platform app and website that has workouts, mindfulness, nutrition, self-care, and more to help boost your mental and physical well-being. I also love that I can take the same class as friends or connect with other members in the community comments. Allo Moves really brings people together. Lately, I have been very into the five-minute relaxation body scan with Susie Mark Shifflin. Guys, Susie is the most soothing instructor. She incorporates these sound bath sounds into her head-to-toe relaxation exercise. It's so easy to do. Obviously, there are also yoga classes and exercise classes and so many other things you can learn and check out on alamoves.com, but I just had to share that one with you. 
Find yourself together when you join Allo Moves. Join the community on allomoves.com today and use code FATMASCARA20 for an exclusive 30-day free trial plus 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com code MASCARA20 for a 30-day free trial plus 20% off an annual membership. Again, that's allomoves.com and the code is MASCARA20. Summer is fast approaching, which means it's shapewear season. Just kidding. It's really wedding season. But I just got an invitation to a wedding in Philadelphia, and guess what I'll be wearing? Honey love. I'm not sure about the rest of the outfit or the dress, but the shapewear is going to be honey love. Here's why. Honey Love has revolutionized compression technology so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating when you're wearing shapewear. Plus, they have lingerie-inspired design details that you'll want to show off, and all their fabrics are breathable to keep you nice and cool, which is perfect for hot days. Let me tell you a story. I remember being at a wedding, this was a few years ago, pre-Honey Love, and I wore a jumpsuit, and I wasn't sure if the bathroom door locked well, but I had to take off the entire jumpsuit and then roll down the shapewear to pee, and I was like holding onto the back of the door at the same time, completely naked in the bathroom, and it took so long, and I caused this whole backup of the bathroom line, and after that, I was like, never again. Until Honey Love came along. Honey Love's superpower shorts have a 100% cotton gusset so you don't have to wear underwear underneath. And there's a convenient opening in the underwear area so you don't have to take off the whole thing to go to the bathroom. It's so easy. Honey Love products make you look good and feel good. Whether it's for a wedding, event, an everyday boost of confidence, Honey Love is the perfect plus one. Treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com mascara. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off. That's honeylove.com slash mascara. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Honeylove.com slash mascara for 20% off. The summer vibes are just getting started, so shape your life with Honey Love. have to ask you some questions that listeners have like DM'd me and emailed me knowing yeah. that you were going to be here. The first <laughs> one, I can't even tell you how many times I've been asked this over the course of my beauty editor career and I've never gotten a good answer. So it's okay if you don't have a good answer, but this happens to a lot of people that have like fine or medium fine hair. If they haven't washed for like three or four days, their scalp hurts. Like it's a gentle persistent like this, like tug, almost like your hair's in a ponytail, but it's not. What is going on? Have you ever heard this? No, I have. I have. And I like, that's so interesting. I think that there are like, we can definitely perceive symptoms differently. And when we're talking about a going on three days of wash, especially if you have finer hair, I imagine that there is a lot of sebum that has been created and that has started to build up. Whether that causes inflammation or not, I wonder if we are perceiving inflammation differently. And the reason I'm saying that is because there's actually a scalp, a hair loss condition that comes to mind when you talked about this. Um, It's called CCCA or Central Centrifugal Cicatricial Alopecia. And Uh in this condition, there is actually a lot of inflammation that's happening under the surface of the skin. So not so much apparent on the skin itself, but patients will report different symptoms. So some will be itchy. Some will feel tender. Some will almost get Tender. That's kind of what I'm describing. Yeah. 
and some will get like tingling. So I wonder if we just kind of like perceive symptoms of inflammation on our scalp differently. Well, I'm also thinking about, you know, those, um, they're like the little scratchers, the head scratchers that were really popular for a while. Our scalps are so sensitive, right? Because like I picture you did that on your knee. It's no big deal. You do that on your head and it's like, ooh, best feeling ever. Yeah, yeah. I know. Like even when I'm like shampooing, I'm like, oh, certain parts of the scalp seem to be a little more sensitive. So I think for sure there's something to that. I mean, even if you go and get like a wash at the salon, like it's such a good experience. And I'm like, if someone washed my hands, I'd be like, cool, thanks. But... (laughs) You know, a shampoo by somebody else is like, can be really good. (laughs) Divine. Yes, exactly. Okay, well, that's interesting. It could be maybe a little bit of the sensation of inflammation differing for people. And that's what's going on. In my head, I was like, oh, it's the coated hair and it got real heavy. But I'm like, sebum doesn't weigh that much that it's pulling on your hair. This is why I'm not a doctor, obviously. Okay, another question. For some reason on TikTok, this has gotten super popular that you'll see these people extracting ingrown hairs. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, that's a head because you'll see the other follicles around. You're like, that's a hair head. Mm-hmm. A, do you need to take out an ingrown hair? Like, can you just leave that there and it'll get dealt with? And B, if you're doing it, I'm sure you've seen these videos. Like, mm-hmm. is there a right yes. way to do it? <sighs> you know, I really like, it's a, it's a dangerous situation to try to extract an ingrown hair at home. We do it in the office for sure. And we, you know, treat ingrown hairs, but I can just imagine the risk of infection, (laughs) the risk of injury to the surrounding skin that can happen in that scenario. And I know it's like, can be so gratified. It's, It's kind of like, you know, when you pop a pimple, like, should you do it? you know? So it's tempting. Yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, we have different shaped hair and different shaped follicles. And in people with curlier and coarser hair, their hair follicles are actually not perpendicular to the scalp skin. They're at an angle and that creates a high risk of ingrown hairs because the hair can actually pierce the skin when it exits the hair follicle, or it could not even exit at all and just kind of travel Mm -hmm. underneath the skin. So it is a real problem. And, you know, definitely people need options. A lot of times I will just recommend laser hair removal because if that hair... Oh, I was talking about for your head, but you should... You know, we're behind someone's ear or something. But yes, for like other bo- body hair, I imagine that's a good, a <laughs> yeah, good thing if you're really prone hair. to ingrowns. <laughs> Can you imagine someone came with like one ingrown yeah. on like their, behind their ear and you're like, laser hair removal? Yeah. <laughs> no, but the, do they work themselves out if if you don't go they to the can. doctor? They can. What's the for point sure. where you're like, okay, it's time for the doctor? Because that's a lot of things for people. Like, Am I going to go pay a copay? This isn't a virtual visit. I got to go in. Like mm. with any kind of bump on your head, I guess, not just a ingrown hair. Like when should you call the doctor? Yeah, I would say if it's persistent, you know, maybe it uh, developed, it worked its way out, or, you know, maybe you did one of those TikTok things that I am <laughs> advising against. <laughs> and, you know, but then it came back. 
and it's still causing trouble, then I would say it's time to start considering um, going to a doctor. I would also say that some of the things that we already talked about in terms of dandruff control and seborrheic dermatitis could be applicable here because a lot of times um, the hair follicle is getting, it's a pore, right? So it can get filled with dead skin. It can get filled with sebum. And that is only going to make the situation worse for an ingrown hair. So you definitely want to use a cleanser or even a shampoo that is addressing that. Like the salicylic acid that you mentioned, that kind of thing. Salicylic acid, yeah. Yeah, you made me think if it comes back or it's persistent. Is there a history to pores? Meaning like, I feel like everybody, I remember this ex I had, he had this one pore on his back that would like always get a really long hair. Or a lot Mm -hmm. of people are like, they get a whitehead in the same spot or one of those little um, sebaceous filaments and it's always in the same spot Mm -hmm. or an ingrown always in the same spot. Is there any like cyclical nature to that? Like the pore remembers? Do you see that in patients or am I being ridiculous? No, you're not being ridiculous. Um, it, it is always that same one, right? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Uh, What's up with the rogue poor? <laughs> yeah, there's a poor that just went rogue. And so I think, you know, a lot of times um, what I see, like especially on the back, we can see this. There is actually a diagnosis, a specific diagnosis for it, like a dilated poor of Weiner, it's called. And okay. um, yeah, it just gets filled up with so much dead skin and oil that the pore stretches and it di- it dilates. Oh, and so okay. of course that pore, even if you empty it, no matter how much you empty it, it's just going to fill back up. Oh, because it's like saggy around the skin around it has been compromised yes. kind of. Yeah. I would never say that to... <laughs> No, (laughs) we are talking in theoretical here only, obviously. (laughs) Poor, poor. I guess so you could technically like sew it up or laser it or something, right? If it was really bothersome that if you had one of those dilates. Oh, I often will like remove it almost similar to a cyst removal. We'll just kind of take a little cookie cutter device and take out the plug of skin that- Like a little punch. Yeah, like a little punch. And then we put a, a suture or two in there. Okay, so take care of the pour of Weiner, you said? Yes. I love these names. Oh my God, so good. Okay, let's talk products. Yes. We're back to the hair. I'm sorry, it took us (laughs) off on a whole tangent, but a a lot of our listeners ask about ingredients, please. Mm -hmm. Marketers tell us about ingredients. We get confused. We see, again, that person on TikTok telling us this thing. Do you think there's any ingredients that are straight up bad for your hair? Anything that's super drying, especially if you have more textured hair or curly hair, because in those scenarios, the sebum, which is supposed to protect us, doesn't Mm -hmm. coat the hair as well. It takes a long time for it to travel down the hair shaft um, to the very, very ends of the hair, which is in general why all of us have more brittle ends because they're older and less protected. What are drying ingredients? You know, there's yeah. some alcohols that are good for your hair and like people right. think they know and they turn over the, the list and it's like, no, that's actually a good alcohol that you want, you know? So first there's fatty alcohols like that that are basically hydrating to the hair. So I wouldn't flip your shampoo or conditioner over and just, you know, chuck it because it says alcohol. There are so many different types of, of alcohols that, are actually beneficial to the hair. So that's one. And I know there's been this 
like war on, on sulfates as well. Mm-hmm. So everyone wants the sulfate-free shampoo and, and all of that. And I think that there is a place for those sulfate-free shampoos, which are basically contain surfactants that are um, gentler on the scalp and the hair. But I also think it's important to remember that ultimately we're trying to clean our scalp. So every so often, um, it's a good idea to incorporate a shampoo that maybe contains some sulfates or a clarifying shampoo so that you can mm-hmm. actually really cleanse your scalp. So I don't, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I will modify my original response <laughs> that <laughs> it's not, it's not that things are necessarily bad for the hair and the scalp. Mm-hmm. It's that you need to use things in a particular way. And some of the um, shampoos and and products that tend to be a little more drying should be used in moderation. Got it. And you mentioned sulfates. I see that as well. Another one that comes up a lot is silicones, like Mm -hmm. companies making silicone-free products. And then I hear from the makers, well, that's what the people want. I'm like, well, is there a reason they want that? Like, Like who told them about that? So what's your take on silicones? Silicones are not bad. <laughs> you just, but you, I mean, I'm not crazy, yeah, right? Like no, people, people, I've even heard hairstylists say like, oh, it clogs your pore. Right. And like with like simplified science, that kind of makes sense. It's a slippery, thick ingredient, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but what, 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 what's your take? So definitely, again, it's one of those things you want to use in, modif- in moderation, especially if you're in a situation where you're using silicone every day and then you're like, Mm. using a sulfate-free shampoo, are you even getting, are you even washing the silicone out, you know? So I think that there Uh. is an opportunity to like, for it to not be a great scenario for your hair. But um, I do not think silicones as an ingredient are bad. You know, some people desire more of a, a slip or, you know, that shine that a silicone can provide. And that's just aesthetics. Like we, like is lipstick bad? You know what I mean? We, yeah. we, we want that look for our hair. So as long as we are cleansing it, there is not an issue with silicones. What about other ingredients that like help uh, change the texture of your hair? Like obviously formaldehyde, you don't want both breathing it and whatever, but are there any other ingredients in the texture treatments people get that can be dangerous? Formaldehyde? No, that's bad. Don't do, don't do that. (laughs) Uh, I think, you know, like as, as a nation, we have decided like no formaldehyde in our hair. I know that there was like what was that? Like in the early 2000s and, and things when the Brazilian straightening treatments were in and there was an uproar because some of the, it was thought that some of them contained formaldehyde. And so then the industry responded with formaldehyde-free Brazilian hair straightening treatments, mm-hmm. which were ba- basically contained precursors of formaldehyde. Yeah, you hit it with heat and you still are making, you're like off-gassing formaldehyde. Yeah, you're still making the same thing. So um, yeah, I, I would say that is in the bad category. It's not something that I ever recommend my patients do, especially since a lot of my patients are dealing with hair loss or shedding or thinning mm-hmm. or you know, some change anyway. And then I also think, you know, there's the whole category of chemical uh straighteners, like chemical relaxers, and then dyes, hair dyes. All of those treatments penetrate the hair shaft 
in order to, to, you know, for a specific purpose. In the case of chemical straighteners, they they break down disulfide bonds. Um, so the purpose is to straighten. And so they, they modify the chemistry of the hair in that way. So I would consider that in the bad category because we should try not to modify the chemistry of our hair um, just in terms of hair health, because that makes it a little more susceptible to damage. And then with the hair dyes, they, especially when you're going up like lighter in color that can, you know, penetrate the hair shaft and affect the melanin that's contained in the hair shaft, you know, to, to dye the hair. But I don't like to have my patients lead such boring lives. So, (laughs) you know, with all that badness that I just said, I I generally like people to lead joyful lives. So I've, uh, conceptually created like three buckets for my patients of vices. And one would be hair dyes, one would be chemical hair straightening, and then the third is just like excessive heat. And I just tell them, choose one vice. Please don't choose two or three. <laughs> just choose, Okay, no, that makes sense. Yeah, choose one vice and do it in moderation and we should be good. <laughs> That's that's a good theory and way to approach it because sometimes you just throw up your hands. You're like, well, if it's all bad and this is good and I don't know, but I like this. You gave us numbers on it, like a doctor with like an analytical <laughs> approach. Okay, before I'm going to do a speed round with you, yeah. which we do with every guest. One more question. Is there any, um, like any myths or tr- things that you just see over and over in your practice related to scalp or hair health that you're like, I now have a broad audience listening. People, this is not true. Oh, Jen. Or make well, my job easier. <laughs> well, I, I, I basically got like attacked on TikTok <laughs> mm. for saying that castor oil does not grow hair. And, <sighs> you know, this is a myth that we hear often. And I think that it's a myth that people are very, very invested in, you know, some, some, for some reasons culturally. And so, you know, I don't, I don't want to like offend anyone, but just the science is not there. And I actually, as a physician, see the consequences of people using it. So I was particularly motivated to educate on TikTok, but it was, it was not pretty. Yeah. So, you know, castor oil is a very, very thick oil. And I, I see a lot of patients, especially with scarring hair loss, who have been dedicated castor oil users for years. And they, they, you know, it came at their detriment because they didn't get a diagnosis because everyone said it should work. And so maybe if they use more, or maybe if they just try a little harder. And so I just think that that is a huge myth that needs to be dispelled. Yeah. And it's tough when it's tied to like, you grew up with it. Your mom told you, like people you absolutely trust. And then some doctor that you don't even know from whoever. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the thing with our country and the world? Like we want to pick and choose what our experts say when it it fits what we want. I I know. (laughs) Well, so the white papers are not there. The science are not white papers, even the clinicals are not there. Like it doesn't, it doesn't grow hair. Okay. So in moderation, I guess that goes with as well, the castor oil, huh? Right. Right. And I, I, I always tell people, I'm like, I'm not going to pull you off it, but let's get the diagnosis. Let's get you on some treatment that actually works. And if you want to put casserole on top of that, that's totally fine. (laughs) 
Got it. Okay. Good, good to clarify. And people might come at us again, but yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Stand by it. Um, okay. Speed round. We do this into every, uh, with every guest. Uh, and I have a, one special for you. What's the first hairstyle you remember having? Oh, braids probably. <laughs> what was your braid style? Who did the braids? Mom did them. Um, I had like the colorful little barrettes and beads and it was just a bunch of braids like in different directions on, on my head. <laughs> oh my God. Remember the packs of barrettes and they would be like wide open plastic and you had to like bend them into shape to get yes. them. And it was like the bug, the butterfly. I just, oh I just had like a flashback to being young this. and that I haven't thought about that in a while. What's the biggest hair mistake you've ever made? Oh my gosh. So in high school, I dyed my hair blonde with, you see that I'm blonde now. So, but anyway, I dyed my hair blonde with a Feria box with Beyonce on the cover because- Oh my God, I remember it. Yes. And she had blonde hair and I was like, oh, well, her hair looks like mine and this is the box and this is probably what she used. And I dyed my hair and literally so much breakage and so much shedding. It was a huge mistake. (laughs) <laughs> that was actually, now that I'm thinking about that, that's kind of deceptive because like nobody tells you you have to lift first and it might take yep. multiple steps to get to that color. Yeah. Oh, alas. It's okay. <laughs> well, your hair looks great now. So Thanks. clearly we've rectified that. Yeah. What's your favorite like hair, tool, towel, wrap, accessory that you can't live without? Oh my God, I have so many. I love the Dyson oh, yeah. hair dryer. Yeah, I use that just like whenever I'm trying to do like a, like a more defined curly style, I'll like just roughly blow it out first and then I'll put my curly style What's, in. what's your attachment? I know there's all the different heads. Which one do you put yeah, on? Yeah, I put the comb on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now product-wise, what's your favorite styling condition shampoo product? Oh my God. I also have so many here. I really like Intersense. I'll allow a couple if you want. Oh, good. I was like, do I have to choose one? <laughs> Um, I really like Innersense, which I believe is a UK brand, and they have a really rich, like hydrating shampoo because I need a lot of moisture and not something that's going to clean, but not strip. And I also really like their conditioner too, but I would say that a recent obsession is the Olaplex purple shampoo because I have the the blonde and I don't like it to be like too yellow. So I kind of like tone it a little bit. And then I I have the K18 hair mask. That peptide is amazing. (laughs) Isn't it so good? It's so good. (laughs) It's one of my favorites too. Last question. If you were not a doctor, what do you think you would be doing? And now I feel like we're going all the way back to the beginning and I'm guessing the answer, but go ahead. Obviously a fashion designer. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. We asked a doctor this once and he was like, "Uh, a dentist? I was like, that does not count. But yours is completely different. So, okay. If this doctor thing doesn't work out, yeah. what are you going to call your fashion label? Oh my God. I probably would name it like after my mom or my grandmother. They're, my my parents were born in Nigeria. And uh, I just like, the names are so pretty. So my mom's name is Ngozi with its uh, yes. depth tongue to it. So maybe I'd call it that. 
That's perfect. I love that you came up with it. Just sorry to put you on the spot, but <laughs> no, I, okay. I'm planning your, your future second career. Yeah. This was so fun. I know scalps are like not the most exciting thing to talk about, but I feel like we, we learned a lot and I really appreciate you um, coming on the show. Oh my God, this was so fun. Thanks for having me, Jen. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed the show. It's your reviews and feedback that help us make the podcast even better. Head over to iTunes to rate and review us or email your thoughts to info at fatmascara.com. We also want to answer your beauty questions and hear what products you love. To share a Razor One product review or to ask a beauty question, email us at info at fatmascara. If you send it as a voice memo file, we can even share your voice on the podcast. You can also do that by leaving us a voice message. Our phone number in the United States is 646-481-8182. Thanks so much for listening. Listen, there are so many skincare products on the market claiming to help reduce fine lines and wrinkles, and you know I will try most of them. But how do you know your products are actually working? Some research to back up the claims. That's why Jess and I are all about Ritual. They created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted a clinical study to take the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual's highest hair is now a part of my skincare routine, and I got in the habit of taking it every day by putting the cute little purple jar right next to my sunscreen. It looks nice on my vanity, and let's be honest, I love that. But once I stuck with the habit, I really noticed a difference in my skin. I am not the only one. In a clinical study, taking Hyacera for 90 days led to a 3.6 time reduction in crow's feet wrinkles as compared to placebo. And it led to a 2.9 increase in skin smoothness. I also like that they're easy to swallow. The capsules sort of taste like vanilla. They're not all weird and fishy like some other supplements. Plus, Ritual is a certified B Corp, something we learned about on a recent episode. And all their supplements, including the Daily Protein and their Sleep Bio Series, melatonin supplement are vegan, gluten-free, and made traceable. Do what Jess and I did. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash mascara. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mascara for 25% off. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. 